do you think if we got on Twitter and said, I just microwaved a ding dong, <laughs> do you think Gen Z would understand what we meant? Welcome to the For the Love podcast with me, Jen Hatmaker. Today, we're talking all things food and some nonsense with the pioneer woman herself, Ree Drummond. Hey, everybody, Jen Hatmaker here, your host of the For the Love podcast. Welcome to the show. I am just absolutely delighted that you are here today. I'm tickled because I just finished this interview and I'm still laughing and I'm still just, I'm in like the afterglow of such a fun conversation that we went 20 minutes over our time. So first of all, before I get to that, I want to tell you something. Today, this is the 200th episode of our little show, 200 can't even believe it. We launched the For the Love podcast in the summer of 2017. And since then, you have helped me welcome some of the most brilliant, fascinating, hilarious, and insightful guests into this community that I could have ever imagined. I couldn't possibly be more grateful to have sat at their feet, to have learned so much. And I cannot thank you enough for being along for the ride. 200 episodes worth. I'm telling you, for every single comment that you leave, every rating you give, every one of you who subscribes and shares the show with your friends, we just could not be more grateful. Could not. So thank you for being here week after week. I tell you this all the time, but I mean it from the bottom of my heart. It is an honor for the team and I to serve you in this way. We love you and we love the space. Okay. Let's get into today's 200th episode. And I'll just tell you. There's a million reasons why I'm happy that you're here today, but first of all, we're launching a brand new series today, and maybe the right way to say it is we're bringing you one of our tip-top favorite series that we are doing a repeat of because it was so fun the first time around, and now is even better because today we're launching For the Love of Food Part 2. This was the very second series I ever did on the show. I did series in order of things I loved. My very first series was on friendship. <laughs> My second series was on food. And so here we are again, revisiting this idea, revisiting this subject that I love so much. You know that I do. And so my guest today, of course, is a friend. She has become a friend. So what is this world? She is so near and dear to me, so near and dear to my heart. I know she is to you as well. I know because hello. And so she has said, yes, I will come back to the For the Love community and let's do this. And so yay for us. Today we have on the show Ree Drummond, of course, also known as the pioneer woman. She's everything. She's just everything. She's a writer. You know, she's a TV host. She's a very savvy businesswoman who has literally given the world nothing but joy and humor and butter. She's on our TVs with her delightful show and tons of best-selling books and cookbooks, this beautiful lifestyle product line at Walmart, a magazine, a store called the Mercantile right by her Oklahoma ranch, the boarding house, her little boutique hotel there, her family that charms all of us beyond our imaginations. And so most of you know Ree's story, but as a quick refresher, before she entered the food world and even the ranch world, Ree was in LA living the big city life. And then after she met her future husband, Lad, who she always called the Marlboro Man, 
she settled into life in small town, Oklahoma, and she started a blog back in the blog days. We're going to talk about this called Confessions of a Pioneer Woman. And then that blog blossomed into what I call an empire. She does not like that word. She said, I don't like that word, but I do. That's what I'm calling it. And Time even named it one of the 25 best blogs in the world back then. And then years later, here she is with this incredible life, this incredible offering to the world. She is every bit as good in person and behind the scenes as you think. She is exactly who she says she is. She is hysterical. She's loyal. She's kind. She is generous. She's funny, 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 funny. I love her. I literally love her. And I know you do too. So lucky us. Let's kick off for the love of food. Part two with my favorite person, Reed Drummond. Reed, Reed Drummond, welcome back to the For the Love podcast. Hi, I'm so delighted to see you. Hi, Jen. I just love you. I have no other way to express how I feel about you. You're just wonderful. You're the best. You're my favorite. It's big same. Big, big, big same. I was just texting with my girlfriends right before I jumped on here with you. And I was like, I got to go. I'm, I'm about to pop on with Ree. And they were like, these are my girlfriends that came to Pawhuska with me. And they were like, squeeze her for us. Aww. Give us our, give her our love. You are I feel like I'm part of that club. I was only with you all for a brief time, but I just, I wear the sweatshirt you sent with all your pictures on it. And it was a special, special get together for me. So, (laughs) and a special gift. Listeners, let me just give you a little background on that. Re invited me and my girlfriends up to the boarding house in Pawhuska, which I mean, all the superlatives, like there aren't enough words to describe how fantastic of a place you have created. But, you know, so we had two of the most magical days and right in the middle, right when we needed some magic. And you know that, which is why you offered it, which is so precious. And so we got back and we were like, this was so special and precious to us. Like we had the greatest time. What do we do for Re? Like, what does one do for Re Drummond to say, this was so dear of you, so kind. You know, what do we buy you? So listeners, you know this, if you've been around me a while, me and my girlfriends do a sweatshirt thing. When we travel, we always buy a very stupid sweatshirt wherever we go together and it's obnoxious and it's ill-fitting and that's part of the charm. So we, <laughs> we took a picture of ourselves wearing Ree's sweatshirt from the mercantile in front of the, so all of us had on the exact same sweatshirt, hers in front of the boarding house and we took a picture and then we took that picture of us in her sweatshirts and we made it into a sweatshirt and we sent it to Ree. So with that kind of thank you gift, don't more people want to give me things because this is what you could receive. I'm telling you, it was, it was like Jim Hatmaker's version of inception, that whole situation where what it was. the sweatshirt is inside uh-huh. the sweatshirt. And what really was special about the gift beyond the fact that your pictures were on the sweatshirt, it was a little bit too small. Oh yeah. I appreciate you. And I was, no, well. I was, I was so flattered. I was like, yay. They saw me in person and they chose this size for me. In but, fact, in fact, we looked at it and I said, this is going to be too big. That is what I said. This is going to be too big. It's um, going to swallow so, her up. Yeah. She's what's she going to do? Just walk around. Like it's going to be to her knees. 
It's going to just swallow her little self. My petite self, when I was young, all I wanted to be, this is what I wanted to be when I was young, Catholic, and like Italian Catholic, tan, and petite. Oh, gosh, same. You know, I'm 5'8". You know, I understand what you're saying. I've been every- I've had plenty of skinny times, but never petite times. Absolutely. So. Same. I'm from like real hearty Midwestern stock. And then me and all my sisters were 5'8", five, 5'9", five, and we're just sturdy. Do you know what I mean? Robust. We were skinny, but back then we thought we were heavy. Do you remember that dumbness, how we all did? You probably yeah, did. and we don't have to talk about these things for very long, but we have to because we grew up in the 80s. But, you know, the whole skinny fat thing where, you know, we thought skinny was really the only important thing. And it didn't really matter if there was any muscle going on. <laughs> Oh, no. And health didn't matter either because part of our diet plan was number one, eating margarine instead of real butter because fat, drinking tab, which is probably just straight rocket fuel. Do you remember tab in the pink can and all the fat free stuff? That was all the, the snack wells. I remember eating a box snack of wells. snack wells because I wouldn't, I wouldn't gain any weight if I did that. That's right. See, that was a really good approach to health. And then what makes me even more mad is to look back at pictures of myself then with the real clear memory of feeling like I'm a real chub, you know, like I need to trim this thigh gap down. And I was like, a tiny born baby. Like just, I was as skinny as a rail. Oh, the arms, the arms are what I noticed. Like the, the footprint, the carbon footprint I make is what I've noticed, like the change in size. <laughs> but that, okay, we've gotten that over with okay, now. It's, fine. it's just fine and true. <laughs> but, you know, I was kind of thinking nowadays, if somebody wants to lose weight, there's so many resources available and beautiful food. You can see it on Instagram and things with grains and, you know, plant based options. But then there's been this turn where TikTok recipes. There's some beautiful things, but there's this generation of TikTokers that are back to like cinnamon roll dough in cans, shoving it into a toaster and like, you know, topping it with Ready Whip. And it makes me so happy about where we're going as a people. That's our future and I'm glad for it. Yeah, we're back. (laughs) We're back. We're back. Finally, golly, finally. Been waiting for a toaster oven cinnamon roll, you know? a little ready whip. That's great news. Too much quinoa. I know that you like the quinoa and I skipped right over that. I'm like, no, I'm not falling for this. I am not falling for this. It tastes like garbage. I know you can fix it. I know that you can and you do. My thing is, and the things I like to eat are informed by the, the brief stint, relatively speaking, that I had in California. And so I kind of fondly remember just the, 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 the excitement of that kind of food. But then I also, it's informed by the fact that I live on a cattle ranch surrounded by so much meat and potatoes. I love meat and potatoes, but there's, it's always there. So I want what I can't have because I'm a seven. I know. I sure do. That grass is so green everywhere. Just green and pretty and yummy. Okay. You know what's a fun thing to know? is that you were absolutely one of our very first guests on this podcast. I honestly, I think you were our, maybe my third or my fourth guest ever. So first of all, big apologies for however I was then. I was new. But today, 
you are our guest for our 200th episode, which is so cute. Welcome. It's incredible. I would never have guessed I was only the third or fourth guest. That's incredible. I, I thought you were sort of a seasoned podcaster. So, so now it was- we know that you lie. Now the world knows that Reed does not tell the truth. Also, that might have been the first podcast I've ever appeared on. I, I can't really remember, but I haven't appeared on a lot. I just remember thinking, I like her a lot. That's She's, exactly what I walked away with. But we did forge a little friendship. So it's it's very exciting that it's my we know each thing. other better, even better now. That is so true. You know what? It was so funny, Ray, because I went back to see what we talked about in our first episode in 2017. So at the time, you were reading the Hamilton biography and you had just seen it. Hamilton was brand new to your experience at that time. And you had said it was altering the course of your life. I had zero connection to Hamilton at that point. Zero. I was like, oh, I kind of like heard of that. It's something about like a war. It's, it involves some sort of war. I no clue. What I told you was, oh yeah, I, I think I follow the guy who wrote that. He's interesting. <laughs> and now, you know, you and I could literally create this entire hour just out of talking about Hamilton. The whole hour. You're like, yeah, that guy that wrote it. What's his name? Larry or something? Yeah, no. <laughs> literally. No, that's how but I yes. was. So this is fun because we are doing a food series. It dawned on me that I have never heard you say, or I have not asked you what your own personal, why are you here in food? Why did food catch you? Like, I'm curious if you, was your mom a good cook? Did you grow up in a food house? Did you grow up in a food family? Did you grow up with a really like developed palate? Because this is a real specific way to make a living. And people usually have an interesting front door into it. What is yours? Well, I'm glad you kind of mentioned the whole palate because at a very young age, I had a super sophisticated palate at age like three. All I would eat was potato chip sandwiches. And when I say all I would eat, Jen, I, I grew from eating white bread with potato chips, Lay's, and just crushing them between two pieces of bread. So that's my foundation in food. And then it moved on to mac and cheese and, you know, the whole noodle noodle world. That was what I loved to eat when I was little. But my mom was a very good home cook, just an exceptional home cook. She didn't really try to be anything she wasn't, but she she could make just everyday dishes like stuffed green peppers and chicken spaghetti and, you know, really good stews. But then my mom had these dinner parties that were sort of late 70s, early 80s dinner parties where the kids are not allowed to come downstairs. And I I would sit at the top of the stairs and kind of listen and wait for them to leave so I could go eat. But she would make, you know, beef tenderloin and rose. She'd use rosemary. I think it was dried McCormick back then. I didn't know what that was until I was 28 years old. Well, I didn't know until I used fresh. But anyway, so she was a really good cook. And then later when I married Lad, my mother-in-law sort of helped me with the whole volume bulk. She she had cooked for cowboys and, you know, large horse cutting competitions. Everyone would come here and eat. And so literally here in this house. <laughs> so uh, those two women in my life sort of informed food. But in terms of how I'm making a living with any sort of food angle, there's absolutely no 
explanation except I love food. I, I never sewed. I took the cooking home ec classes. I, I never went to culinary school. I just always loved food. So loved to cook. And that's what informed my food blog in the early days. And then I guess someone noticed my food blog. There was an article and then started talking to an editor about doing a cookbook. And it's just, it, if you tried to plan it at the beginning, it, it would sound hilarious and no way. It's just, it's just like everybody. You kind of follow the one thing leads to another approach. But yeah, I have a show on Food Network and I have no idea why. <laughs> I just, it just, it really escalated. And I want to talk about that food blog, but I do want to also just, I want to give a little nod to your mom real quick for being a good home cook. But also in the seventies, what I love so much is she's just like, so my kid's just going to eat chip sandwiches. It is what it is. Like, I'm not, we're not going to fight this. We'll graduate to butter noodles and that's also fine. Everything's just white and we're just going to live our lives. Our moms were just different, weren't they? They were just they so were different. 70s moms. They had it going on. They didn't care like where we were necessarily. They didn't even and, know where we were. No, they didn't know. Maybe they cared ultimately in the long term, but they didn't <laughs> they didn't care at any, you know, from one moment to the next. But absolutely not. My mom wasn't gonna lose one ounce of her sleep worried about if my food was nutritious. No, 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 no. I was actually in ballet at a very early age. And that was my sport growing up. And I had ballet after school until about 8 p.m. I would come home from ballet and microwave a ding dong. Sure. For, you know, nine seconds. So just so it sort of made the center. That's amazing. Extra, extra oozy. But yeah, and, and my mom never commented. And I had Madame Alexander dolls growing up. Santa would give me one every Christmas. I would curl their hair and melt it. And I don't remember my mom ever objecting to things like that. She was strict about boys later, but what I ate and what I did to my, you know, collectibles. Totally. We laughed so hard. Where are you in the lineup of your siblings? I'm third. Okay. All right. But the four, there's six years between us. And so she sort of usurped my baby Your babyhood. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I already know just because of life that you had different parents than the oldest two, even, but especially the oldest one. I'm the oldest. So even in the loosey goosey way of the seventies and eighties, I still, my parents were dialed in way tighter than they were when my brother, the baby, he's 10 years younger than me. I don't even know who he lived with. I don't know those people. I do not know that lady. I do not know that man. Like, I remember one time I was home visiting and Drew's in high school. I think he's a, he's a sophomore. He's 15. I'm home visiting grown. I'm 25. I have two babies. And Drew came home on a school night. It's like a Tuesday, 2.30 in the morning on a school night. And I was out in the living room sleeping on the couch. So of course I heard it. And so the next morning I'm like, Jana, that's my mom's name, Jana, what's going on in this house? Like my brother, who's a baby just walked in the door at two 30 and he has school. And she's like, the thing is, if we have to stay up and wait for him to get home, it makes us tired. And I'm like, is that the thing? That's where we're at now. So I really envy the youngies like you 
whose parents were like, we're just tired. We're just, just eat your chip sandwich. It'll all work out. It's so true, isn't it? I mean, at a certain point, our need for sleep just takes over. Poor Todd, my youngest, you know, I mean, he's so great and wonderful, but who knows? He's only a sophomore too. No telling what he'll, where he'll be when he's a junior and senior, where he'll be sleeping. You know, it's hard because the, the level of intensity as a parent just continues to drop, which is great for yeah, them. Yeah. That's tricky when it comes to, even before they're grown, it, you know, when it comes to things like homeschooling, because I, my third child, Bryce, uh, who we have talked about quite yes, a bit. Yes, we have. I've completely forgot to teach him about currency. And so, you know, he, I think he was nine or something and he he didn't know which one was the nickel. So I taught him other things, but I forgot. That that one slipped. That one slipped by. I cannot really even imagine where my children would be if I was their educator. I really can't. I tip my hat to you that he knows anything. So if he knows anything at all, you're a success. We have a few gaping holes, but they're, (laughs) we'll talk about that in another podcast but no they're good kids and they you know they work hard they work hard they're hard workers jen but you've launched three so i'm gonna pat you right on the back look at you go it happens oh gosh it's happening jen it's happening i mean i all of a sudden i have three in well alex is out she's getting married in may and Paige and Bryce are in college. Jamar, our, our fifth, actually fourth in age order, is leaving in July. I saw. He signed with Theo, University of Central Oklahoma, to play football. So I've got two college football players. And then I'll just have Todd, maybe. What's that going to be? Like, what is that going to be? Do you think he'll be, will he love that or not love that? He will love it. He's been training for this his whole life. He's been kind of everyone's errand boy in the house. And he's fine to be that. But as a a young child, he always wanted to be with adults. And he'd just crawl up on adults' lap and twirl their hair and talk to them. And so he's kind of tired of being around all these immature, you know, teenagers and young adults. So... I think he's going to move out everybody's beds. He's going to rearrange and make it like his own upstairs. Yeah. I want to ask you a question about that because I'm in the launch season two. I've got one completely out. He graduated from college. It's a miracle. Another one is in college. Another one's about to go to the Marines. So it's this steady like erosion of the people that live here. And when I tell you that the room, reno, swap, reclaiming, has caused World War III in this house. I mean, to hear the bigs tell it who leave, it what makes perfect sense to them is that their room is never touched so that when they're 30 years old, they can come back to their room that is theirs as they want it. The sheer audacity that the people that live here would consider a rearrangement or... I mean, they're literally hurt. They are hurt and they can't believe it. I'm like, did you pay for that room? Do you pay rent? You pay for that square footage? Then you don't get to claim it for the rest of your life, you dum-dums. How did this work in your house? Well, this is great because the same was true with with Alex. Alex is pretty adaptable. So it wasn't demanding, but she had a basic assumption that she would come home from Texas A&M and find her room the same. 
she largely did because Paige was still here and Paige kind of kept things up because she's a can't remember what her Enneagram is, but it's intense. That's it's her Enneagram. the kind who keeps things up. Yeah. Yeah. So Paige went to Arkansas and then Jamar came to live with us and we moved him right into Alex and Paige's room. <laughs> so, so they have to, when Alex and Paige come home, and this was particularly complicated around quarantine, you know, they have to stay in a boarding house cancellation or sleep on Papa's sofa, my, my father-in-law's sofa. So they are kind of roomless in the childhood home of theirs. Uh, does that make them disgruntled? That's my question. It'll be character building. I like this. I like that. But I, I do have a little bit of scoop and breaking news. It's not really breaking news, but Lad and I are going to build a new house. But here's the kicker. It's not really for want of a new house. It's our house has been sort of, it's about to give up the ghost in a lot of ways that will be expensive to fix. And But here's the deal. We're going to build a house. <laughs> First of all, we have to build a very small guest house to live in. While, while you're building? Building okay. the main house. The main house only has one bedroom. <laughs> <laughs> this is some, probably only something you can do on a cattle ranch where resale value of your home doesn't matter. But Lad is like, no, I don't want any more bedrooms. And then the more I started thinking about it, I was like, they can all cram in the guest house when they come home. So we're kind of building a house that doesn't have the space that this house has. This is next level move right here. I have so many questions. Does that mean the current house, you're just, is it, you're taking it out? You're going to build it where it was? Yes. Yes. That's our current plan. But my, my thinking is we're going to get, we're going to move into the guest house, you know, get everything out of this house that has any value and then raise this house. And then we're going to change our minds. <laughs> That's possible. And then the kids will really be roomless because it'll just be, you know, Lad and Todd and me in the little, little guest house. Well, you know what? It's your prerogative. As far as I can tell, you guys paid for that house. And so if you want it to have one bedroom, then that's what it gets. I know. I, Lad just kind of wanted to be able to say, I have a one bedroom house. <laughs> I can see him wanting to say that. We'll have an exercise room so that sure. eventually somebody could put a sleeping bag in there if they wanted to. This is incredible. I really love this flex on your own kids. Do your best. I don't know. Bring an air mattress, sleep on the couch. You're fine. Yeah. Young. Leave us out of it. Yeah. Leave us out of it. Me and your dad live in this house. That's who lives here. So the rest of you guys can do your best. Your dad and me and our weight and, that- and, and <laughs> rowing machine. <laughs> oh, and then yeah, there's a the little Peloton. small room in the design that we're working with. And it's labeled very prominently dog room. So well, sure. the, the narrative now <laughs> among my kids is that there is a dog room and there is no room, room for them. So, but I again, I cannot wait to tell my kids this, my kids. Building who still have a bed to sleep in when they come here for crying out loud. It's just maybe not in the original room. I cannot wait to tell them that you are tearing your house down and building a one bedroom house. I just can't wait. This is my favorite thing that I've ever known. I'll live in the kitchen anyway. So yeah. Does this mean you're still going to do your show from the lodge? Probably, but the kitchen will probably be sizable enough that if I decided I didn't want to leave the, leave the new house ever, to go anywhere, we could probably film it there. You know what? I get that too. Even if it's just driving on your own property. Starting the car can sometimes 
caused me all sorts of dread and doom. I so understand that. Like a trigger. Because it takes you, I think you told me this one time, is it a day and a half to film one episode or something like that? Well, it was. And it took In about the a olden day. days? We had worked down to 1.25 days per episode. <laughs> so I would like get a calculator. But with the kids, we do an episode and a half a day of filming with the kids and me because we're just, we don't have the standard that our regular production crew has. And we're just happy. I love it. I, I'm happy to do it forever. But I also love my my film crew and they're in London. So I, I hate that they aren't able to come and continue filming. But they are actually involved behind the scenes. They help in with production. Yeah, yeah, they do all the production and editing. And so we're, they're still very much involved, just not here in person. Do you think they'll be back at your house this summer? Does that feel right? Is that when we get to live again? Jen, I don't know. I We have a wedding May 1st. Yeah, you do. And when we set that date, it was last August. And it felt like this is all going to be in our rearview mirror by by May 1st. And so as we get closer, you know, it's, I think it could start to improve exponentially. It feels like, you know, but there's, who's going to predict anything right now. So we're just going to have, you know, a few little contingency plans. And I can't imagine they'll be back until probably fall at the earliest. Yeah. I know you're right. Is the wedding at your house? Did you tell me that? It's on the ranch. It's like in a pasture. (laughs) Sure. Oklahoma, what could go wrong May 1st in Oklahoma outdoors? It won't be windy. It'll be fine. Are you pretty heavy handed? Are you pretty heavy handed in the planning or is Paige like, this is mine. I'm in charge. I don't really want your opinion on things. Well, I was about to correct you and say Alex is the bride, but in fact, it is Paige that's saying, no, it needs to be this. So yes, (laughs) that's right. The answer is yes. Yes. Uh, But no, if I were in charge of planning a wedding, I would be estranged from my daughter when it was all over because nothing would get done. And I only do things that are fun. I don't do administrative things. I don't do, I'm not responsible. I put things off when it's not fun. So, and a wedding's fun, but only on the day of. The wedding's fun and thinking about it's fun and approving things is fun and looking at the designs and the colors. And I'm definitely contributing to ideas, but not to the execution. So we have a sweet wedding planner that we're working with and that's making all the difference. It's the only way. It's, it's the only way. Especially for someone like me. And even Alex isn't, she doesn't seem fussy. Is she fussy? No, I wouldn't think she is. She's not. She's a dream. So she's, there's been zero bridezilla, zero at all. And she, she basically wants to accommodate everyone. And Mauricio's family is from Mexico. So, you know, we're, we're kind of trying to honor his culture and the weddings he grew up That's going fun. to all night weddings. And of so course. It'll be a fun little weekend of activities. The wedding's May 1st, so someone needs to check on me May 2nd because I haven't stayed up past midnight for decades, maybe, at this point. I'm, I'm a morning person, so, but it'll be great. I'm so excited. I mean, my daughter's 23. I never thought I would have a daughter get married at age 23 because I was like, you must be, you know, you must be late 20s. And she really listened to me. I see but that. <laughs> they're such a good match. He's such a dream. He's wonderful. And so I'm just, I'm going with it. We're excited. Darling. As it turns out, they do what they do. That's what happens. I've learned they grow up and they do what they want. 
they may listen to you, but that doesn't mean they'll, you know, live like you lived or live like you imagine they should live. Yeah. Yep. It's about 50, 50. And a lot of times, darn it, they actually are, are right. So hate that. There are many paths to finding your family story, whether you trace your family generations back with a family tree or you uncover your ethnicity with ancestry DNA. It's super easy to get started. An ancestry DNA test tells you where your ancestors are from. And ancestry's billions, like with a B, billions of records and millions of family trees let you discover their personal stories. You could find a famous relative, who knows? Or perhaps a photo of your great grandma as a little girl. Whatever you find, it's sure to change the whole way you look at your family history, which let's be honest, is the story of you and worth knowing. It's truly amazing what you can learn about yourself and ancestry. I can trace my family's path from the UK to the US, step by step. And it's pretty crazy to see your family story laid out clearly right in front of you. Most of my family members aren't around to tell their stories anymore and yours aren't either, but ancestry is helping to keep them alive. Start exploring your family story today. Head to my URL at ancestry.com slash for the love to get your ancestry DNA kit and start your free trial. Free, free, free. Yay. That's ancestry.com slash for the love. Guys, it has been a long winter. I lived through the Texas winter this year, so you know I have receipts. But spring is around the corner, and if you're like me, you're ready to see some green. You are ready for your home to feel more alive, which is why I'm making literally all my plant lady dreams come true with a new-to-me company I have fallen in love with called Bloomscape. Bloomscape delivers healthy plants right to your door. Plus, they tell you everything you need to know to keep your plants healthy and vibrant and alive. You can find the perfect plants for your space, whether you've got tons of light or hardly any. I got a little fiddle leaf fig from Bloomscape, and I absolutely adore it. It came to me looking perfectly beautiful and healthy, and it's got these big, glossy green leaves that just brighten up the living room, and they make the whole space just feel more alive. It actually makes me happy every time I look at it. And I, I cannot wait to buy more right now. You can get 15% off plant orders of a hundred dollars or more with promo code for the love at bloomscape.com. So it's 15% off plant orders of a hundred dollars or more at bloomscape.com promo code for the love. All right, back to our show. Okay, I want to talk about this big swing of yours from blogging to what you have now, which is it okay to call it an empire? That's what I'm going to call it. And so I found you through your blog, like a ton of us did. In the like the days of yesteryear, the blog years, which do you have some nostalgia? Because when you were blogging, that was the height of blog world. And that opened up a whole new can of worms for me as a writer that I didn't ever know was really possible that you could kind of build your own space on the internet with or without a book contract or with or without really anything or credentials. So yay for that. And so I just kind of want to hear you talk about the early days of blogging because you were a, I'm sorry, but you were a pioneer 
I'm sorry. I want to, I, I wasn't going to do it, but I found the word and I couldn't release it. What's your like memory of those years? And do you miss any of it? I like the word pioneer, obviously. I do not like the word empire. So you're welcome to use it, but I reject it. You can reject it all you want. But I know what you mean by the word, but gosh, yes, I can't. When I started blogging, Todd was one. So when I wrap my head around, I mean, he was one. I had just kind of weaned him. I mean, he was kind of middle, one and a half, maybe. But that's how long ago it was, but it doesn't seem that long ago. It seems like we went from blogging where it was everything, it really was, to now it's influencer and creator and Instagram and TikTok. And, you know, we are where we are, everything changes. And I wouldn't say I miss those days, but I do look back fondly on a lot of it, just how organic it was. And in, in the really early days, I learned about blogging from one blog and I read a homeschooling mother of triplets who was gay in Oregon and she had a blog. It was like a free blogspot.com blog. But she was a great writer and I just was fascinated. And I just read. She didn't really post pictures. Occasionally, she'd post a snapshot of the woods or something. But So when I started my blog, it was on a whim and Lad had all the kids with him for the first time ever. And I just said, I'm going to start one of those blog things, you know. And first, it was redrummond.blogspot.com or something. And then I was like, oh, "Oh, you're not supposed to put your name on the internet. Not then you weren't. Now you do. But back then, you needed a cutesy name. Right. You needed an alias. So I changed it to Pioneer Woman and just because that was kind of a nickname with my friends. But anyway, I didn't blog about recipes until about eight months later, seven or eight months later. So that's how to cook a steak recipe. That's right. But yeah, I think back and just how nobody really knew what they were going to do with their blog. They just started blogging and then it went from there. Well, it was no pressure. You didn't have to know what you were going to do with your blog. There There was no strategy. There was no precedence. Right. It really was Wild West. Now there, there are hashtags and strategies and tools and there was none of that. You know, it was just like, I'm just going to wake up and write about when I was little and I shoved fruit stripe gum wrappers up my nose for a week and then they stayed up there and rotted and that was what I blogged about when I was when I first started blogging like these weird disgusting stories and I just think now I have a show on Food Network. <laughs> See <laughs> that's where it sometimes came from. good things happen to just really medium people. That's what I say all the time. One <laughs> mediocre of my friends people. Very mediocre. You know I'm writing a cookbook right now too and I had included a recipe that I sent to one of my friends because it had a story about her in it. And Included in the ingredient list is store-bought pie crust. And she was just like, what is this world where some publisher hands a cookbook contract to some random girl who puts a store-bought pie crust on the list? I'm like, that's an unjust world. I'll tell you that. It's a world where people with zero credentials get to just decide that they're going to write a cookbook. And I know it's not fair, but this is just what it is. Make your peace. And I don't care. And I'm not sorry. I can't decide if it's unjust or if it's just. It's wonderful. I mean, by that measure, I would never have had a cookbook if we couldn't use, you know, store-bought ingredients. So well, thank you for saying that. Well, and Jen, I just, I don't want to talk about my new cookbook. I want to hear about yours. I just finished shooting my new cookbook and I have, I actually champion Cool Whip. So this is my seventh cookbook. And I'm still using Cool Whip. So never change, never change. Never change. I texted you, I think, 
or maybe I commented on, I can't remember where I put it, but you know, you just very recently did a whole show in which you included spam and I've never been happier. I've never been happier to see it on a big HD television set. Like here is what to do. It brought out that natural kind of sickly pink color of Delicious, of right? Just yeah. Delicious. I can't wait for your cookbook, Jen. It's fun. I'm writing it right now. And it is such fun. You figured it out. You have figured it out. What is the release date? I turn it in the summer and it comes out next like August or September. Oh, it's a long so- time to get these things done. It'll go by fast though. I mean, when it comes to the the project, it doesn't ever sit where you're not doing anything. That's what I hear. And my poor editor, <laughs> bless, you know what? Just send up thoughts and prayers to her. Yeah. I'll light a candle. Cause I'm an Italian Catholic. <laughs> a tiny one at that. Just a little petite Italian Catholic. Yeah. Food writing is so fun. Technical food writing is, I don't know. Well, how would I know? I just put it down and then I've sent it to her. Like, let's have a little glance just in case I'm so, so completely off the tracks that you're going to really need to re-sear it back. And she's just like, you know what? Why don't you just get it on paper? Because we're going to have to do quite a bit of like zhuzhing around. I'm like, that's fine. Let me just write it as it is. But it's such a fun project because my last couple of books have been such kind of emotional heavy lifting. And just tons of research and tons of like women's like mental and emotional and spiritual health and pretty heavy lift. And this turns out it's not a year I can do that. I just cannot do it. I don't have the capacity for it because life was just such a beat down this year. But what I can do is I can write about beef tenderloin. Sure can. I sure can write about a quesadilla and enjoy it. And then I have the added benefit of cooking during the middle of the day for test kitchen. And it counts as work. I just can't. I just can't with my good luck. I cannot believe my good luck. I know. And that's what I love about food writing is, you know, if we were talking about a book about cardiovascular health or even just something that required actual schooling and expertise, You know, there's not a wide range of who can tackle a topic like that. But with food writing, you can buy cookbooks by Jacques Pepin and, you know, for his expertise and perfection. And and you can also buy a book by Jen Hatmaker. By Jen and Ree, who just say absurd things right in the middle of a paragraph. But because food doesn't belong to anybody, it it belongs to all of us. And that's what's so exciting about it. I'm so glad you're going to be in the same crazy world I'm in. Gosh, I love it so much. I just might never go back. I'm not getting so, so, so much fun. Okay. I'm so happy. It's going to be a huge hit. I just know it. My editor did say, just kind of perusing through all the recipes, she's like, we don't have to put the word spicy in every title of a recipe. Let's go through and edit that out. Like all of it's spicy. Apparently everything in the cookbook I'd like to call spicy chili, spicy migas. I'm like, I need to use the thesaurus here. Anyways, okay. I don't know why I did this real quick. In the early days of my blog and or the early days of my Food Network show, I inexplicably put the word perfect before several recipes. Like Because perfect pot roast was my first and it actually is perfect. It's probably my only perfect recipe. But I would be like, perfect potatoes, perfect. I kind of messed myself up there because, you know, but... 
it's okay. You're saying this and I have a crab cake recipe in the book that I've already written and I described it as perfect and you're making me rethink it. Don't say perfect. (laughs) And not only did I call it perfect, I said it cannot be improved upon. I might take that out too. No, don't. Just commit. Okay. (laughs) But I guess my suggestion would be don't do that with 42 recipes. Oh, I see. I see. see, It starts to lose meaning. Yeah. You're crying a little wolf there when every single thing you touch is the perfect version of it. Yeah, I see what you're saying. I mean it in a sincere way, like, oh, sure. it's so perfect, but yeah. It's perfect to you and you're the writer. Great stories are powerful, right? That's why I love this podcast. We get to hear people from all walks of life talking about their obstacles and their wins. And you know another place we get to do that? The Gin Hatmaker Book Club. And I want you to join today because if you love this podcast, you're going to love the book club. Here's the deal. Each month, we'll dive into a fantastic book and we read all kinds of stuff, fiction, memoirs, self-help, all of it. Every single book is something I have read and loved. And I just know you will too. After you sign up, Every month, I'll send you a box with the book and other fun treats. Plus, your membership comes with a whole slew of perks. You get resources like reading plans, weekly summaries, discussion questions. Plus, you get tons of exclusive community stuff. You get access to our private Facebook group where you can connect with me and all your fellow members. And there's a monthly Facebook Live chat session with me and sometimes some surprise guests. Sometimes I pop into the Zoom meetings of our local chapters, which is always delightful. Plus, we do some cool stuff with the book's author. They curate these awesome Spotify playlists just for us. Plus, I record a podcast with the author or another special guest, and we talk about the book. It is an incredible way to cap it all off. And you know what makes a book club great? The people. This community is the kindest, most supportive group you can possibly imagine. So sign up today at jenhatmakerbookclub.com. We are here waiting to welcome you into the sisterhood with open arms. So join us at jenhatmakerbookclub.com today. Okay, back to our show. Okay, wrapping it up here. These are like We're asking everybody in the food series these. So just top of your head. Here's the first one. If you could eat one dish, that's it for the rest of your life, what would it be? Restaurant or home? Mm, I'll give you one for each. Restaurant, there's, it's called Maria. It's in New York City. I don't know if I'll ever go there again, but it's house-made pasta with octopus and bone marrow. What? I was not expecting that. I want it. I want it all the time. Any sushi and then home cooked would be, it's probably like a short rib braised, really rich, dark sauce over creamy grits. That's just my favorite kind of thing. Braised is my favorite. I know. Remember you telling me you loved braised meats. I agree. It cannot be approved upon, if you will. When you're too tired to cook, what is your, like, your go-to dinner? Like people have to be fed but you just don't want a thing. You don't want a production. Gosh, it's so boring, but it's just probably just throw violently some chicken in an iron skillet and get it, you know, really brown and then take it out and then make some kind of sauce. And sometimes the sauce is jarred marinara, but then I'll like 
throw in some fresh basil or, or pesto is my new big thing. Not not new, but a whole jar of pesto, just throw it in. And then fresh mozzarella, if, if I have it, if not supermarket mozzarella. Okay, listen, you just described a literal legit meal and I am so tickled. I'm like, you're too tired to cook. What do you make? And you're like, you know what? I'm going to sear some chicken. I'm going to make a sauce. Probably, I'm going to use fresh mozzarella, definitely some fresh basil. Fresh mozzarella, if I have it, but everything's jarred. The marinara's jarred, the pesto's jarred. I'm not making pesto. Yeah, it's done. I have Totino's pizza rolls in my freezer and I have ham and cheese and pepperoni hot pockets. So do I. And I have no guilt. No, I don't even know. No, not with all these boys. And sometimes they'll choose that over my slop. Yes, yes. I have all of that in my freezer as well, plus Totino's pizza, which I would eat one right now the whole thing. And I would love it. And I would would think it was delicious. Last question. I asked you this last time because I ask everybody this answer, however you want. It's from your fellow Episcopalian who also got it right the first time out of the gate, Barbara Brown Taylor. What is saving your life right now? Okay. This sounds cheesy. I have two answers. One is a physical thing and it's a enormous, it literally says kahuna on it and it's a massage chair. Oh my gosh. But it hurts in a good way. Like it's so mean and, and rough. It it, it needs it. Like I have to turn the intensity down, but I got this at your house. I got it for my air quotes family. I got it air quotes for my family for Christmas in uh, 2019. I am the only one that uses it and it saves my life. I don't know. I just, when I want to sit down, put my feet up, I get in there and it swallows me. So that's one thing. And then the the other thing I'm telling you what's saving me is Psalms. I'm just reading. Tell me more. I'm just reading Psalms and it, I don't know why I flip to, for the past three or four weeks, I've had things to chew on, the different things. And I just seem to turn to what is you know what my soul is most thirsty for. So I love that. I always love Psalms. I, I just, I love it. It's saved me in many ways, but Lad sometimes says there are other books of the Bible. Oh, buddy. He knows all the stories and the characters and the, you know, the lineage. And I don't, I just love the poetry and beauty of Psalms. So he's like, let's get us into some Leviticus, you know, <laughs> let's dig deep into the minor prophets. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> I just want to go read the beautiful flowery language and tell my Lord how much I love and trust in him. And so, so happy that the Psalms are in the Bible. I was going to say wine was saving me, but I gave it up for my mother of the bride diet. So, oh, for that love all the way to May. That's a long time. Well, it overlaps with Lent. So I'm kind of cheating a little bit. I see. I see. It's just going to also hand you like an additional advantage into your dress. That's great. It's fine. Okay. Well, you are the literal best. Sorry. We just, I don't know what I told you that we were going to talk about, but thank you for just (laughs) following the rabbit trails. Thank you for having me, Jen. I will talk to you. I just love you. You're the best. Come back to Pahuska. I will come back to Pahuska. I will make you a second sweatshirt and find a way to do even more meta. And I think we could do add one more layer to the sweatshirt inside a sweatshirt inside a sweatshirt. And I'm thinking on it. Oh my gosh. Just know that I'm thinking on it. Can you imagine if we're like Mm -hmm. in our seventies? 
<laughs> and we have uh, my my grandmother and I used to exchange the same birthday card and sign, keep signing it through the years. That's so cute. I lost it because I'm an Enneagram seven, but <laughs> it was great while it lasted. But it could be that kind of sweatshirt. Okay, that could have been like a passed on heirloom, you know, like this precious bit of family history. It's fine. I'm I'm making you feel bad about it, but I just love that about you so much. It's what it is. All your charms, they splinter out in a million other ways besides keeping precious family mementos. There's (laughs) other things that matter. That's not what I have to offer the world. (laughs) No, it's, it's not. There's other things that count. So that's just what it is. Keep me and everyone else posted on your cookbook. Absolutely. I, I'm so excited. I know. Thrilled. I know. One day when the world comes back and it will, we'll just stand side by side together in a kitchen. We'll make, we'll dump a jar of something and some pesto and Sarah chicken. And, and we'll microwave a ding dong for dessert. I actually want to do that. I actually, you just cast a vision over a a possibility for my weekend that I might see through. If I do, I'm going to send you a picture. Do you think if we got on Twitter and said, I just microwaved a ding dong, (laughs) do you think Gen Z would understand what we meant or would millennials understand? I don't know. This is why food language is just dirty. Food talk, it turns out, is pretty dirty. I'm going to give it a try and let's just see what happens. What could go wrong? You know what? Honestly, what could go wrong? Who would ever be outraged about something you write on Twitter? Have a glass of wine. For, exactly. <laughs> what, what could possibly go wrong? No, that's not a thing that happens. So, Oh, gosh. Oh, I love to laugh about it with you, Jen. Say, I will have a glass of wine in your honor because I do not need to marry a child off in three months. No, but you you will have those times ahead. So drink the wine while, while you can. We'll swap. We'll swap <laughs> later. Okay, my friend. All right, sending love. Thank you. Sending love. Talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. She's so fun. She is just so fun. I have a feeling that she and I could sit like that on the phone. This just feels like talking on the phone for hours and just keep going. Just keep going. We have a million, million things <laughs> that we love to laugh about and we love to talk about. Isn't she great? You're going to love this whole series. We have so many great food people on you guys, and they kind of run the gamut restaurant people, cookbook people, television food people, all of the above. We have some fantastic guests lined up for this series to talk about my very favorite subject eating. So you're not going to want to miss any of it. It's fun. We're going to have a great time. Come back next week. Thank you so much for being here for the 200th episode. Ugh, thank you. So OG listeners who've been here from the beginning, ah, big kiss to you. Huge kiss to you. Thank you for being with us all this time. We have so many fresh and exciting ideas for this podcast for this calendar year. I can't even tell you. I can't wait to tell you actually. And so keep coming back. If you haven't subscribed, do it. Share these podcasts with your friends. We love it when you do that. And we read every single comment that you send us. So on behalf of the whole podcast team, it's our absolute joy to serve you. Okay, you guys, see you next week.